good, good. Let me see. I'm going to grab uh, I'm going to grab one more stool. You guys can have the white ones and then I'll grab this one here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh man, it is good to be in church this morning. Yes, yes, yes. And I need to grab another microphone real quick. I'm a, look at me. I'm all over the place today. I'm all over the place. <laughs> all right. Well, well, we're here. It's church. You guys glad to be here? It's good. It's good. Listen, guess what? This is small group season. It is small group signups right now. Some of you guys know that. Some of you don't. But, but right now we're in the, in the middle of our small group signups. And, uh, and so today I wanted to take a few minutes and interview um, April and Scott Wilson about their small group experience. And, um, and so guys, I guess I'll just start with uh, um, what is it about small groups that, that you guys, that excites you guys? So for me, the one thing that I'm most afraid of is stagnating, and almost anything, but especially in my relationship with God. Uh, one thing that excites me about small groups is an opportunity for me to get with a group of like-minded people and grow together in that relationship, be able to dig into his word and continue uh, grow and find that other people share the same kind of problems, missteps that I do, and be able to talk those out. Yeah. April, how about you? I absolutely love finding a group of people that you just walk in and they love on you. They pray with you. They support you. They're there for you, like, whenever you need it. So, guys, what would be maybe um, one of the big things that you, um, maybe a big uh, win or a big takeaway you guys have had with small groups? Um, anything, like, significant impact your guys' family or your life? All right. Well, I'm going to go into the Riley story real fast. <laughs> <laughs> So um, our son, Riley Wilson, he's eight years old. He was born with immature teratoma brain tumors. Um, these kind of brain tumors are very rapid growing. They're almost like a cancer. Be instead of um, the normal tissue being where they need to be, you have hair follicles, you have nail follicles, you have everything that's supposed to be growing except in the wrong place. So with that, he has been through three different brain surgeries, uh, chemo all before he was one. He suffered from massive seizures. Um, up until about six months ago. And the awesome part about that, six months ago, he gave his life to the Lord. He got baptized. He made that profession of faith. Yeah. And he's the one that really got that move going. And so it's been really cool to see that happen. <laughs> uh, for me, when Riley, in the worst times, when Riley was in the hospital and the doctors were telling us that we needed to prepare for the worst, it was really easy for me to rely on God because I had absolutely no other option. Um, and at that time, that's what I did. But when things got better and Riley started doing better, I kind of, you know, you kind of push God aside and you say, well, things are good now. I have it. For me, the small groups is that check to where I could sit and share with people and say, this is what God did in my life. And it's a reminder for me that I need to continue to allow him to guide my life. Because even though I'm happy now and things are going well, God's plan for me is way beyond what I can even imagine. Yeah, that's great. So, uh, so there's people here, there's people here who are, have joined small groups and have, and have joined them. There's some people here who have, uh, maybe they're thinking about it. They're on the fence. They're not sure if they should join a small group. What would you say to the person who's maybe thinking about it? What was like the, maybe the conversation in your house when you were considering joining a small group? Well, um, I'm an introvert person, so I've, I've been there. It's, it was a hard step to take to go to someone's house and kind of share those intimate details of your life, but it, it's totally worth it. You know, it, it gets you out of that stagnation and continues to help you grow. My advice would just be, 
take the plunge, jump in, be first, see what happens. You can't lose anything, but gain friends and have extra prayer support and love. That's fantastic. Guys, thank you so much for coming. Will you guys thank them for coming and, and sharing? And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We got a couple. Oh, here comes the, the stool gang. Yeah, thank, thank you guys for coming and helping with the, the stools. It's our professional stage hands. That's what we, that's what we have. Guys, we got a couple of quick things going on that I want to talk about. Um, connect class is coming up. If you're new here, you've been hanging around, you decided, you know, this is the place I, I want to get plugged in. I want to get connected here. Your, your next step is this, is, is our connect class. It's, it's during our second service on uh, February 2nd, and, um, and you can sign up real quick by texting into our, that word into our office, or um, if you forget to si- uh, sign up, we'll, we'll try to have a couple extra seats for you and get you there, but, but it's going to be during the second service on February 2nd, and um, I just want to invite you. That's the next step on your journey if you want to get connected here. And then um, also, week of prayer. Every, every January, we take a week and, and say, hey, we're going to take a week, and we're going to pray as a church for some things. So we're going to have a, a, some topics for each day of prayer, and, and, um, and and I would, I would also ask each of you to consider fasting and praying during the same week as well. And, uh, and I know for some people, fasting is something that uh, maybe medically is something you can't really consider on the food side, but maybe you can alter your diet. Maybe you could um, with, withhold from something else, fasting social media or, or something else like that. And so I would just encourage you, fasting and prayer for this week, we'll be praying for our church, we're praying for our city, we'll be praying for our country, uh, we'll be praying for different topics that are, that are happening, and, and, um, and it's just as a church, we're going to unite night and pray for this year 2020 and see what God might do here. Um, if you're a guest with us, you can also uh, uh, text in. We have a, a, there we go, you can text guests and just say, hey, I'm here today. We'd love that. We'd love to make new friends. And um, it's a simple way for you to just say hi. And then if you also came prepared to give today, you can do that electronically on our website. You can text in. It'll text you back the link. There's also drop boxes throughout the building. And I'm going to pray real quick over the offering. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all that you've given us. God, we just thank you that we have the opportunity to be good stewards of, of what you've given to us and what you've put into our hands. And so, God, I ask that you would bless the, the tithes and offerings as they come in. Help them to have exponential impact everywhere they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, guys, we are in a series called Dollars and Cents. Dollars and Cents. And so, you, you got to know, um, today I am wearing my money socks. That's right. I came, I came fully prepared for the uh, dollars and cents. And, and last, last week we talked about um, a tithing and what is tithing, and it's all in the description. If you missed it, you should go back and listen. It's on our, it's on our website. But we're going to continue in our series about money and dollars and cents, and we're going to start with this, is how do dinosaurs pay their bills with the Tyrannosaurus checks? <laughs> like the four of you are like, yeah, that, that's okay. Yeah, you know, I heard this one. The land, landlord is calling and saying, um, you know, he wants to come by and talk to me about how, how high my heating bill has been lately. And I said, sure thing, come on over. My door's always open. <laughs> it's funny with, with money how, how, like, in the stock market, it always cracks me up. Because, you know, the stock market, someone's selling the stock and somebody else is buying the stock. But both people think they're, like, the smart one. <laughs> right? I'm smart for selling it right now, and somebody else says, I'm smart for buying it right now. And, and uh, it's funny how money has that thing, right? You know, and if you don't think that anybody cares if you are alive or not, try missing a couple of car payments. <laughs> Your phone will be ringing off the hook. That's right. You know, as a country, our money management has not been very good lately. 
Like, like in the last 50 to 80 years as a country, you start to look around and, and people are talking about the debt crisis that's happening, not just and, and, you know, as a country as a whole. I think we're at the $23 trillion in debt right now as a country and the, the, clock, the, the clock is ticking. But the individual debt and consumer load is high. In fact, even now it's political season, so everybody's talking about all this stuff. And regardless of where you stand on your politics, you know the conversation of student loan debt and how high it's climbing and, and people are talking about debt and money money right now in our country. And if you start to really look and look at the stats, you will start to realize that as Americans, somehow we are finding a way to spend more money than we actually earn. We're finding a way to spend more money than we actually earn. Last week, we talked about how we don't think that we're rich, but we are. We sometimes feel like we're living, you know, in poverty, like we don't have enough, but yet we are the richest country in the world, the wealthiest country in the world. But, but our wealth that we, that we receive, the, the paychecks that we earn and the money that comes in, it, the stats would show that, it, it, that we don't feel like it's enough because we have to put even above, above and beyond on the credit card. Now, of course, nobody here has living this way. We've all heard about it in the news. It, it's, it's an isolated problem somewhere out there. But the average American household has over $8,000 in credit card debt. The average American household has that. And some people in the room, I know you have zero, which means somebody else has 16. It's just what it works. It's the average. Maybe you only have four. That means somebody else has 12. You know, like maybe you have 16. That means somebody else has zero. You know, it, 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 there's this, the averages that are rolling. In our country, we've, we have this thing where we have become so instant. We want instant gratification. We want microwave food. We want instant thing. In fact, if the shipping isn't two days and free, I'm upset about it. Right? It, it's what it is. Like, like I heard Amazon might be building a, a distribution warehouse here in Albuquerque. And the first thought, that would be awesome, by the way. Great jobs for the, for the city. But, but if that were to happen, my first thought was, are they going to do same-day drone delivery? That was my first thought. I was like, are they going to do that here? Because I would be like, like, my first thought is, can I get some my stuff faster? Can I get it faster? It's interesting in our, in our culture, what was once considered a luxury now becomes a necessity. What was once considered a luxury has now become a necessity. I remember the day when cell phones were a luxury. Only doctors had them, and they were huge, right? Doctors and drug dealers are the only people that had cell phones. And yet now every one of us, we don't even have landlines anymore. All we have are cell phones. And we don't talk on them either, do we? We text and we Instagram and we take photos. And the talking part of the phone is actually reduced down to a single-digit percentage of the time we actually spend on our Phone. And, and it become the necessity. I got to have a smartphone. I got to have the latest smartphone. I can't have the iPhone 10 now. I have to have the 11 now or 11 Pro or whatever they're up to, the 10S. But you, people are always trying to get the next best thing. It's got to have the best thing that's out there. And we can have it with a few easy monthly payments. Our debt load is climbing at a meteoric rate Check this out, some stats just for you. Since in the last 10 years, credit card debt has risen 18% within our country. Credit card debt overall. Auto loans are up 60% in our country. We have 60% more auto loan debt in our country right now than than 10 years ago. And the shocker is student loans. There are 272% more dollars in student loans right now than 10 years ago. The debt is climbing at an astronomical rate. That doesn't even cover government. It's just the personal debt that that us as Americans are holding. Now, it it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that, that that is probably bad stewardship of our resources. 
right? Like if, if, if we have money coming in and, and we're racking up, we're spending more than we're making, there's bad stuff. Well, listen, as Christ followers, we're called to live to a higher standard, right? I think as Christ followers, because what we understand is that, is that everything comes from God, life comes from God, the ability to earn money comes from God. And so therefore our paycheck and our supply comes from God. And so if we look at it like, hey, listen, God is giving you these resources to use in life, you all of a sudden change your mentality and say, listen, the, the paycheck that I get in is a gift from God. I'm going to use this and steward this to get the maximum amount of value out of this. I'm going to use wisdom to get the most out of this. And, and, and so as a Christian, as, as a Christ follower, we, we actually have this mentality that, that we're going to now use money to be able to, as a tool to advance things in life. We're not going to be a slave to the paycheck in order to get the money, right? Money isn't our master. We're the master over money. Not all debt is bad, just to be clear. Um, I want to make sure I say that. Um, it, debt's actually a fantastic tool, like to buy a house is, is a great thing, right? You owe money on an asset that's actually appreciating in value um, while you're simultaneously paying it down in value. That, that's a good thing. You're, you're gaining equity. You know, If you have to have a transportation, it'd be best to pay cash for a car, but maybe you need a loan to kind of get the thing going. Um, hey, you know, sometimes there's a thing that where it's, it's okay. And in student loans, I mean, that might be a good investment if you pick up 100 grand in student loans, but you're going to be a doctor and make over 100 grand a year. It might be a good thing. Now, if you're going to get a doctorate in basket weaving, that may or may not pay off for you. The problem is that most of our debt isn't very good. In fact, there's a website you can look and zoom in on individual states, even all the way down to the county. And so this is what I found was interesting. Bernalillo County, our county, um, as of tw- at the end of 2019, um, in, in, I think it was November or December was the most current data. The median debt that's actually in collections right now in our county where we live is $1,525 per person. So take the people, median debt, in collections, currently people trying to collect on it, past due delinquent debt. So even in our own county, we know that it's a challenge and a problem. And it's important because regardless of how much money you make, there are people who struggle with financial stewardship. It doesn't matter how much money you make, people still struggle with financial stewardship. I've met people that make very little and can steward their money and live life just fine. I've met people who've made a lot of money and can't seem to get a handle and a grip on the, the, what they're making. It, it, they just always have more month than money. More month than money. So if you believe it all comes from God, then your money is a gift from God too. And when we treat our money as God's money, we take a different approach to how we handle it. And you know this is true because when you borrow something from a friend, you take extra care of it, don't you? When a friend comes over and they bring dinner and they have a bowl and they leave it at your house, do you run it in the dishwasher? No, because you're not sure if it's dishwasher safe. You wash that thing by hand. In fact, you take extra care of that thing. And and as soon as you can, you make sure you bring it right back to the person who borrowed it. You don't abuse it. You don't put it back in your cabinet. You don't, you don't use it a few times for yourself before you bring, no, you, you know what I mean? You take care of it when it's somebody else's, sometimes better than when it's your own. And if you treat our money the same way, that it's a gift from God, that it's something that he's given to us that we should be able to steward and use wisely, it should change the way that we approach money. And so in doing all of my research for this series, there's, there's a, a few uh, authors, there's a few um, areas of, of people that I love to, to go to and look at. And one of the people, his name is Robert Morris, and he wrote a, a few books about financial stewardship from a Christian perspective. And, uh, and one of the things that he had listed was the 10 financial commitments. And I thought it was so good. I just, I'm like, I'm just going to share it with you today. 
And, uh, and it's in one of his, his books. And, um, and so I want to talk to you about that. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And in the book of Exodus chapter 20, there are the Ten Commandments, are there, the, the actual Ten Commandments that, that we all are somewhat familiar with, um, are all listed there in Exodus chapter 20. And so the first commandment I want to talk to you about today is this, is number one, is put God first. Put God first. You see, and this pairs up with the first commandment if you look at it. See, the first commandment in the Bible says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. And so when we put God first in our life, we have put God first in our finances. We put God first in every area of our life and what we're doing. Reminds me of a story in 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah is, is there and had, there's a, a famine that's been going on in the land. It's been, been going on for a few years. And Elijah 17, in 1 Kings 17, it says, When the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he, being Elijah, arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as he was going to, she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, ah, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand as well. And she says, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in the jug. She's saying, I don't have any, anything made right now. I, I got some water. I don't have any bread right now. And so I'm gathering some sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. It's her last meal. It's all she has left. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first... Make me a little cake and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the, late, the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So he goes, to, God sends Elijah to this poor widow. She's got one meal left and he says, get me some water. Okay, I can do that. Maybe get me some bread. I don't have any bread. Go make me a cake. I don't know how he gets to that, but he, he, he's happy. He wants a cake. And so, so she's like, well, um, but we're going to eat our last meal, and that's it. Like, that's all we've got, and we're just going to starve to death. There's no food in the land anywhere. Why would God send Elijah to a poor widow to take her last meal? That sounds really messed up, from my opinion, doesn't it? Like, like, if I was God, I'd be like, hey, Elijah, why don't you go to the rich person over there and see if they can, like, whip you up a steak or something. Like, they probably have extra food laying around. Like, why would you go to the, to the poor widow and ask the poor widow for her last meal. It just doesn't seem logical to me. But see, God sent Elijah to her so that she could provide for Elijah. The miracle that Elijah then says there, he says, listen, if you make this for me, your bag of flour will never run out. Your oil will never run dry. He, listen, God sent Elijah to the widow so that so that God could provide a miracle in the widow's life that she would have a never-ending supply of flour and oil in the midst of this famine. When you put God first, God works miracles in your life. In fact, in Malachi 3, we talked about it last week, and it says, why would you rob from God the tithes and offerings of the church? And, 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 and you start to look at that, and you think, oh, man, I'm robbing God of, of the money that, that the church needs. No, 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 no. It's kind of the other way around when you, when you read it. You realize that you're robbing God of the blessing he wants to pour out on your life is, is what it is. And God wanted to pour a blessing out on this widow's life, which is why Elijah went to this, this thing. People think God wants us to tithe so the church can be taken care of. God wants you to tithe so you can be taken care of because God, God, doesn't, God doesn't need your money. He can get it somewhere else. 
So here's the widow who had one meal left. It's interesting, this is the same widow that her son had a terminal disease and a few months later died and then Elijah ended up working a miracle there too. See, when you put God first, it's your family. It's more than just your finances that come into the order, into the order, your family comes in order, right? Like, like it becomes bigger than just your money, it becomes into your family, into your, into your kids, into your household. Number two is this, is don't worship material things. Don't worship material things. This pairs up with the second commandment. In Exodus 20, verse 4, it says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. A carved image is an idol. It is something that you would, um, that would worship. It was something that you would manufacture. It's something that you would put before God. Have you ever put a material thing before God before? Of course not. Nobody here has ever done it. How about this? Have you ever bought something that you regretted buying? Yeah, I'm guilty. Buyer's remorse. I bought something before and, and then immediately thought, gee, why did I, why did I buy that? Like, like, oh, man. Like, I, I, can I return it? I've already opened the box. If it's Amazon, you might be able to. <laughs> See, this isn't about tithing, this one. This is about stewardship. When you buy something that you regret, most of the time, it's because you are self-medicating your own fears and insecurities, trying to buy something to help you feel better about your situation. When you buy something and then you have buyer's remorse, not every time, but most times it's because you think that that object is gonna help you to feel better. You feel like that thing is going to help you feel better. You buy that, that new car. There's nothing wrong with buying a new car, but, but if you're buying the new car and you're doing it because you want to have the right image or you're trying to medicate your own feelings and your, of insecurity or, or fear, hoping that the material thing will give you some sort of peace or significance. And let's be honest, it kind of does, doesn't it? Like when you first buy it, when you first buy it, you're like, this is awesome. You drive in that brand new car, that first car payment comes around, and you're like, oh, instant regret. <laughs> Why did I do this? What's funny is sometimes you have buyer's remorse a year or two later, because now you're paying that new car car payment, but it's now a little older used car. So when you're hoping that that material thing will give you peace and significance, that means that you're looking to that thing as an idol. And, and the second commandment says that, that, um, that you, shall make, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not have something that is an idol before you. So don't, don't worship material things is number two. Number three, don't use God's name selfishly. Don't use God's name selfishly. And it pairs up with the third commandment, which says, you shall not take the Lord, name of your Lord God in vain. Now, oftentimes we say, take the Lord God, name of the Lord God in vain is like using him, his name in curse words, which sure, you shouldn't do that. That would be terrible, right? That's not, you know, that's not something that you should be partaking in. Probably shouldn't be cursing in general, but, um, but using his name in the curse word is, is probably, you know, again, really not, not good at all. But vain actually means selfish. Don't take the Lord's name in a selfish way in a selfish way. Are, are you praying for your selfish desires and slapping the name of God on them? That's what it's getting at. Are we, are we praying for this material thing? Are we praying for this? Are we, are we taking and saying, listen, we're gonna slap the name of God onto the, onto the prayer request of, of what we want. I'm not talking about praying for your needs and your, and your wants. I'm not saying that that's bad. In fact, it, it's, it's, uh, Jesus talks about praying for your daily bread, praying for your supply. I think he cares about your needs. But when we have our selfish ambition and desires and we slap the name of God on it, that's where it becomes a problem. 
It's when you cross that line. And only you really know. You and God would know. Am I praying for my needs and desires or am I slapping the name of God onto my own passions, my own ambition? Don't use God's name selfishly. The fourth one is this, is, is be a good steward. Be a good steward. And, and, and in Exodus 20, verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. This is about stewardship. Believing that God can do in six days more in six days than what you can do in seven. Can you believe that, that God will do more in six days with your time and energy than what you can do with seven. It, it's, it's stewardship. It's putting that day of rest in there. It's, it's, a, it's a commandment in the Bible for a reason. You can, be, can you be a good steward of your time and your energy? Tithing is about believing that God can do more with the 90% than you can with the 100%. Good stewards do three things really well. And the first one is this, is that they spend wisely. Good stewards spend wisely. Second of all, they save diligently. Good stewards will save diligently. And the third one is that they will give generously. Good stewards will, will spend wisely, they'll save diligently, and they will give generously. You've got to be a good steward. Number five is this, is teach your children. This pairs up with the fifth commandment that says, honor your father and your mother. You see, we've got to be able to teach our children about their relationship with God. And our children should honor the father and mother because the father and mother should be teaching them about their relationship with God. As parents, in that sense, we, we, we have a great responsibility. How we talk about God and how we model our relationship with God will have a lasting impact on our kids' life. Long after we're off of this earth, it will have a lasting impact on their life. And so as parents, we have to be able to model that relationship with God. Listen, it's the same thing with your finances. How you talk about money will impact your children and how your children handle their resources in life. If you're always saying things like, gee, if we just had a little more money or our problems would be solved if we made more money. If, you, if you're making money the solution to all of your problems at home, your kids will start to realize that, that maybe money is the God that they need to be serving rather than God himself. Whereas the same shortfall of the budget at home can be handled with, with a praying and saying, you know what, we're just believing God's going to provide for our needs. Now all of a sudden, the same situation and circumstances, rather than saying we just need more money, can turn into, hey, we actually are trusting God that he's going to provide for all of our needs. How you model your relationship with God and how you model your relationship with finances and money will have a lasting impact on your kids. So you've got to be able to teach your children how to handle these things. I, from the very beginning, when I was a kid, my parents used to say, here's your allowance. You're going to give 10% and you're going to save 10%. You can do whatever you want with the 80%. And so we had you know, back in the day, jars, glass jars in our room. And, and they would pay us our allowance for doing the chores around the house. And, and we would take the, whatever it might be, the, the quarter into, I don't remember what the amounts were, honestly, back then, but, but a, a quarter into the giving and a quarter into the savings and, or 10% and 10% and then the 80%. And so we would, we would have these jars. And so we would take our, our tithe jar to church, to kids' church, you know, every so often. And we would go give that, that giving jar, the tithing jar, and we just pour it in the offering bucket at church. My parents trained me that way from the very, very beginning. And, and so there's something that, that my parents have done that, that they have consistently tithed. They've consistently lived in a stewardship mode of their own resources all the way through. And so then they trained all three of us kids to be able to live that way. And guess what? And that's what I'm doing with my kids now. 10% you give to the Lord. 
10% goes into savings, and, and, and 80%, you can kind of do whatever you want with it. Now, sometimes they want to buy video games and candy, and I'm like, that's not a good expenditure of your resources, but whatever. I said, whatever. They, can, they, they got the 80%. They can do it that they want. Now, my stuff, it's all digital now, so it's all electronic. They have, like, a savings. Anyhow, they have online banking. I don't My nine-year-old had online banking. Let that sink in, huh? Jeez. Number six, six, commandment number six, live on a budget. What's the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not murder. Wait a minute. Live on a budget. Yeah, because if you're not living on a budget, you're murdering your finances. <laughs> it's a little bit of a stretch. But you're, you're, you're living, you know what I mean? Like you're murdering your finances. Honestly, you're murdering your joy. You're killing, you're killing this, the joy that's in your life because now you're stressed and anxiety. If you're not on a budget, <laughs> you can't run your finances like I did when I was in college. Because when I was at that age, I would roll up to the ATM, put my card in, and if money came out, I was fine, right? Like if money, it didn't matter what was pending, it didn't matter what checks were in the mail. It's like, man, if I got the 20 bucks out, I was good for the day. And I was, you can't live your life that way. You can't just go out and spend and then all of a sudden realize you have four days left in the month and you have $5 left and you got a wife and two kids and you're like, how are we going to eat? And you're scouring the cabinets and, and we're eating ramen for a week because that's all we can afford. You can't live your life that way. Nobody wants to live your life that way, which is why you have to have a budget. You have to be able to put together a plan so that you do not kill your finances. You do not kill the resources that God has given you. Budget, the dirty B word. I don't want to do that. Budget sounds terrible. You don't live on a budget. Man, you're going to spend your money unwisely and you're going to kill your finances. A budget is nothing more than a plan. A budget is nothing more than a plan. In fact, if you don't plan how you're going to spend your money, It'll be gone before you know what happened to it. If you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. I know. It's cheesy, isn't it? But if you don't have a plan or a goal, you're going to hit it. You're going to achieve it. You're not going to get anywhere that you actually want to get. You can't live in fear of, of your checkbook. You can't live or checking account checkbook. Was it 1995? You can't live, you know, <laughs> in a fear of, of your checking account. Because it, it, it happens, right? Every one of us have done it. Well, maybe not you. I've done it. I assume most of you have done this. Where you overspend in a month and you hit the end of the month and you don't have enough money. And you can't pay that bill at the end of the month that you know you needed to pay. And so you're going to have to pay that one late and incur a late fee. Which only amplifies your situation. But, but if, if, you, if you're doing that and then all of a sudden you want to go out to eat with your family and you don't have a budget, you're now living in fear because the last time that happened, it bit you in the rear end. And so now you're like, I want to take my family out to dinner, but now you're scared because I'm not sure if I can or I can't. And so then you're at the restaurant and then you're nervous about it and you're not really sure. And then you're, you know, and then you're, you're swiping the debit card and the money, you're like hoping it clears, you know, and, and, and you can't live life that way because you're going to be living in a state of fear all the time. A budget is super, super important because then you have a plan on how to allocate the resources that God has given you, how to maximize what he has already given you. I used to work at Ultimate Electronics. I was a salesperson for a short time, and I, and I understood how to work people in their budget. 
Now, Ultimate Electronics is not a store that's around anymore, but it was kind of a mid-level, higher-level electronics retailer here in Albuquerque. And, and, uh, and so what would happen is we had all the different TVs set up, all the stereo systems, all the, all the things that every guy wants. And, and gal, actually. There was um, quite a few women that would come in and, and just go nuts on the electronics. It was, it was awesome. And so, um, so we, would, um, we had this one room kind of in the back, and it was the $150,000 system. And, and it was the drop-down screen with the, the high-definition projector and, and the top-of-the-line speakers and sound and, 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 and the whole works, the theater seating, everything in there. It was just absolutely amazing. And so this is what we would do. I would do all the time. If someone would show up, I'm looking to buy a television, you know, for my living room. That sounds great. What kind of TV are you looking for? Well, I'm thinking like a 32-inch or a 36-inch television, and I got about 500 bucks to spend, you know. And, 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 and I'd be like, that sounds great. Let me show you where TVs are. Hey, can I show you? We have this really cool thing that we just put in. Can I, sh- can I show you this? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. I'd walk them back to the $130,000, $150,000 high-end room. I'd play that, the, the uh, demo on that thing, and people would be, wow, this is incredible. I'm like, let's go look at that $500 TV you wanted to buy. Every time, they'd look over and be like, man, maybe I should step up to the $700 TV. Happens every single time. You know, when you, when you go to the furniture store and you have $1,000 set aside to go to buy some new furniture, some new couches or whatever it might be in your store, if you walk into the store and just start looking at everything and sitting on the $3,000 couches, guess what? When you say, well, I can only afford 1000 bucks," you go sit on the, the $1,000 couches and you start thinking, man, these things are kind of crummy. I'm going to go upgrade into the $1,500 couches because, boy, at least I'm kind of taking a step. In. You have to have a plan because otherwise you will overspend every single time. What's your plan? What's your budget? You got brand new couches and no food in the cabinet. Brand new couches, but you have no retirement. You know, you have to be able to organize and plan what it is that that God has given you. He's blessed you with resources. And the better you are at stewarding those resources, the more he's going to give you. The the better things are going to go. The more he can trust you with what you have been given. Number seven is this, is live below your means. Has heard this way, anyone who lives within their means suffers from a lack of imagination. <laughs> We've got to live in the inside of our means. And, and this really pairs well with the, the seventh commandment is you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. And, and think about it when you commit adultery, you're living beyond God's provision for your life. You're saying that your spouse is not enough and that you have got to go beyond the, ring, the, the reaches of you, the, what God has already given you in your relationship at home. And when you commit adultery in your finances, you are living beyond your means. What God has given you and provided you with, you are saying it is not enough and I have to have even more. I have to have even more. So when you live above your means, you're buying things that you can't afford. You are telling God, I am not content with you. I am not content with your provision for me and I'm going to do it my way. See, Paul writes in Philippians, I have learned to be content in whatever state I am in. Maybe he wasn't in New Mexico. You can, terrible joke, <laughs> terrible joke. Listen, New Mexico, I think, is the best kept secret out there. I, I don't know about you, but um, we have amazing weather. The mountain that's right there, uh, the humidity. I, I'm just telling you that we have just the best of the best. I, I, I'm really excited about the future of, where our, of our, where our state is in right now in our city. But, but you know, listen, if you, you can learn to be content. That's what Paul writes. I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. You can learn to be content in whatever state that you're in. 
The, the power of your voice and your words, the power of your attitude has a huge difference. When, when you are saying, I'm not, I don't have enough, you are saying that you are uncontent. You can learn to be content. And sometimes you have to just declare it and say, God, I am choosing to be content with what you provided me. You may not like it, but you're saying, I'm choosing. God, I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn to be content in the state that you have put me, in the position that you have put me in. And when you start to learn to be content in the place that you're in, you start to love the position that you're in. You start to love the place that he's put you. Number eight, don't buy now and pay later. This, this uh, matches up with the eighth commandment that says, you shall not steal. See, if stealing is spending money you don't have, then buy now and pay later is spending money that you don't have to get something that you want right now. The research is in is that 80% of tax returns that are coming back are spent before they actually hit their account. People will look, they'll file their taxes, they'll say, gee, I'm getting a $3,000 refund, and they start to think about what they're going to spend that $3,000 on. And before it gets returned back to you in your account, you've already bought the thing that you wanted to buy on the credit card, and you've justified it because I have 30 days to pay that. Therefore, when the money comes in, I'm going to be able to pay it off, and we'll be just fine. 80% of tax refunds are already spent before they hit someone's bank account. People see what they're getting, and they then dream about what they're going to buy. See, God wired us to look forward to things, to hope for things. He wired us to work for things, to, to be able to, to want something and to be able to strive for it and achieve it. You know when you work for something and, 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 and you, you, you put off actually purchasing it until you know you can afford it and, and you work for it and you work for it and work for it. When you finally get to the place where you can buy it and buy it in a, in a good stewardship way, it's so much more joyful to pay for it then. There's so much more um, satisfaction when you hit that goal. It's called delayed gratification. Doesn't mean you can't have nice things. Certainly not saying that at all. It just means that you shouldn't be paying 18% interest on your credit card for those nice things. The delayed gratification. Our country has one of the has the highest personal debt load in the world. They also say that the United States has the highest documented rates of depression in the world as well. Money does not bring happiness. Stuff does not bring happiness. Number nine, commandment number nine, be a good witness. And the ninth commandment says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. If you're telling your neighbor about God and he's looking at your life, are you demonstrating what it looks like to follow Jesus and to be a good steward of your resources? If we truly believe that God has given us everything, if we truly believe that we are a steward of what God has, has given us, we're telling our, our neighbor about Jesus. The stucco is falling off of our house. The roof is deteriorating and we got a brand new BMW in the driveway. The witness is going to be like, hmm, they're not good with their finances because they're not spending it in the right place. It's funny that people can only see what they see on the outside. They can't see the inside. They don't know the circumstances. But, and I'm not saying that if you're having a hard time or been through a hard time, that that, isn't a, that is a bad witness. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, there's people who have gone through very unfortunate sets of circumstances. You've lost a job. A company has shut down. In 2009, when the recession hit, there was a lot of people that lost a lot. But even in the midst of your trial, even in the midst of when you are down, what's your witness look like? That's what I'm saying. Doesn't matter if you have a lot or you have a little. What does your witness look like? How we handle our money is a good witness or a bad witness. 
If you went through a trial, but you went through it with joy in your heart and trust God in your hardships, you can have a phenomenal witness in the midst of a trying situation. We've all gone through trying situations. Some of us in the room today are in the middle of a trying situation. Can you handle it in a way that you can still maintain a good witness to those who are around you? Neighbors, they know that we're Christians and they're watching how we're living. They can't see everything, but what can they see? And are we able to give a witness to that? And the 10th and the last commandment is this, is be content. Be content. And the 10th commandment is this, is in, in Exodus 20, says, you shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. My neighbor has a sweet ox in his backyard. <laughs> I've really been looking over the fence at that thing. <laughs> it's funny, though, because we live in a culture that's kind of a keep up with the Joneses kind of environment. Social media has only amplified it. Because what we didn't know before, we now know. The elaborate vacation that they went on, they tell you, oh, I went on this vacation, but now you see the pictures. You, you see the, the white sandy beaches. You, you see it. And it's so much easier, in my opinion, probably today than ever to covet what your neighbor has. People will celebrate their achievements online. They will, they'll post the pictures. They'll post the celebrations. And, and in the comments, you might even be like, this is fantastic. I'm so happy for you. But in, in the moment, you're also like, why can't I have that nice thing? Why can't I have that promotion or that raise or that job? Or Sometimes it, it can turn into a covet situation. If you're content with what you have, you won't covet what somebody else has. If you're content with God, what God has provided you. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth. Now look at the list of covetousness and fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desires. And covetousness, which is idolatry. The reason it's idolatry is because whatever you are coveting, you're making into an idol. Not only have you made an idol of what your neighbor has, but what happens is then you all of a sudden you make your neighbor God who controls that idol. Because you're gonna buy a new car when your neighbor says, not when you're God, when God says. You're gonna buy that thing because somebody else bought it, not because of what God is telling you to do. You end up not doing what God tells you to do with your finances and you do what your neighbor told you to do. He, and your neighbor doesn't tell you. He just shows you. This is what I got. What's that? The iPhone 11 Pro Max with three cameras? Mine only has two. When you cover what someone else has, when your covering becomes an idol and the person who has it becomes the God. Don't let someone else spend your money. Let God tell you how to spend his money and that you are the steward of. Listen, we're talking about dollars and cents. We're talking about money. And I know it's a touchy subject. I don't want, we're not gonna talk about money in church. If you're visiting today and you're like, churches always talk about money. I swear, I only do this like once every few years. <laughs> you just, you're just lucky enough to be here on this one. And, and so well, we talk about money because the Bible talks a lot about money. Jesus talks about it. It's all the way through scripture. It's a resource that God has given us and we need to be wise with it. We need to follow what the scripture says and be wise with it. 
Because when you're wise with your resources, when you're doing what God asks you to do, he blesses you with more. He wants to use you as a conduit to be a blessing to everyone around us. You know the word blessed means happy? The word blessed means happy. So here's what we have today is this. Spend wisely, save diligently, and give generously. We want to be living below, below our means, living with contentment, not coveting what someone else has. These are the principles that, that God gave us to live a happy life, a blessed life, if you will. My prayer for everyone here today is, is that truly you can live a life beyond blessed, that you have enough for your family, but you also have enough to bless someone else when the Lord prompts you to do so. Will you bow your heads? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for everything that you've given us. God, help us to live content. God, help us to live as, as good stewards of, of the supply you've given us. Whether you've supplied us with a little, you've supplied us with a lot, God, help us to, to be blessed, be happy with that, and to be a blessing to others as well. God, I'm asking that this church would be known for their generosity, they'd be known for their stewardship. God, this church, this house would be one that is known as a conduit of blessing to everywhere in our city. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, will you stand with me? Let's sing one last song before we go home.